When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Achtung Nuo. Broadcasting from the beautiful South Bermondsey. Set no substitute. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a special series we're doing with uh, journalist, Daily Express journalist, rugby paper journalist, Neil Historian, Neil Fissler. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hi, Nick. How are you going, mate? I'm good. This has been fascinating. We're doing an Acton Mill history series, listeners. And I was just saying to Neil off air, um, some of the names that we're going to cover in this series of podcasts I knew and heard of and had a rough idea who they were. Some I just never heard of at all. It's been absolutely fascinating when doing the research into this. The stories are brilliant, aren't they, uh, in, our, in our club's history? Yeah, no, well, quite funnily enough, I think somebody commented on a tweet that you sent out on on, yeah, well, on the last one yeah. about all-time guest players that we only signed uh, Gary Taylor Fletcher's of the time. <laughs> some of the uh, really interesting, and that's what we've tried to do, is we've tried to pick out just a few of the colourful characters, I think, that have represented or played for our glorious club and managed our glorious club up and down the years. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to put it, colourful characters, because each um, each of these names and personalities, and some emphasise the word personality, are I think they're of interest in, in, as individuals, but we're going to try and do two at a time. And so today's, um, or this edition's first two personalities and names are Bert Banks and John Calvey. So we're going to begin with with um, Bert Banks, Neil. Um, an interesting character. He played well, Herbert Banks, to give him his full name, um, born in Coventry in 1874 and died in Smethwick, which is near Birmingham, isn't it? Um, uh, what- played for Millwall in 1899 um, as an inside left and is notable for being our first um, England international, I believe. That's right. He was selected to win his only England Cup against Ireland in a home championship game in March 1901. But, but quite interestingly, before he played for England, he, um, yeah, well, before he played for Millwall, he'd actually plied quite a lot of his trade in Scotland. He'd served in the, in the Seafoot Highlanders before becoming a footballer. And he actually represented Glasgow in an intercity championship match 
match against an English city, you know, despite being an Englishman and not being eligible to play. I think it was only afterwards that they actually found out that he was actually an Englishman. An early early Tony Cascarino, in a sense, in that way, in that sense. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got most of these. He's played for Seaforth Highlanders, we were an army regiment. Um, um, whilst on service in India, so this would be in the Raj in in the in the late nineteenth century. Uh, That's right. And I mean, his professional career took in Everton uh, on the left, on the left wing, uh, a team that's now gone. Third Lanark, um, a Scottish team. Uh, I think they, they they disappeared, didn't they? In the, in, the, in, the, in the 60s, I believe. Third Lanark. Or in the yeah, yeah, with Glasgow based team. And then he joined Millwall Athletic in eighteen ninety nine. Um, the princely sum of ten pounds. Ten pounds. Yeah, I, I love this dis- description. I found. Um, I think it was in the Richard Lindsay book that Banks was a short man. Neil, this this might chime with you and me, mate. With a tendency to put on weight. Suits <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> and he was suspended in 1899 by the Millwall for carrying too much weight. I mean, that must have been a lot, given the uh, the club hasn't changed that much, listeners, over the century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite ironic that we were talking about Gary Taylor Fletcher not so long ago. Absolutely. But, uh, but one thing he was known for was his boundless energy. So he was, he was a short man, uh, shall we put it stocky, to be, um, to be uh, kind, and, but known for his boundless energy and enthusiast for the game. Um, I've got the, the, some of the, the fascinating points I've got. You might have some of these already, Neil, but uh, he scored... Uh, four goals in um, in a cup tie. The first Mill player to do so. And this was in a seven nil win over Clapton in the FA Cup. Clearly, um, clearly a man of some talent, and he played for England and the Southern League as well. You were a decent player by all accounts. He, he, he his goal scoring record. I think he averaged what one goal every two games for us. Absolutely. I'm, not, I'm going to put some of these notes out for listeners because I think some of it is is is, is really fascinating. I've dug out. Um, some press coverage of the game um, Mill Athletic versus Clapton. This is from an old Victorian uh, journal called The Referee, um, which described uh, Mill versus Clapton, 7 0 win for, for us. Um, it serves to illustrate the, the folly of unprepared men. This is Clapton, unprepared men being put up against a regularly trained professor. It's not often you hear Mill described in those terms, Neil, is it? As regularly <laughs> trained professors against unprepared men. <laughs> Banks scored four in that. Um, interesting story from when he moved on. He moved to uh, Aston Villa, then to, to Bristol Rovers. Um, he was um, five, given a five-shilling fine, apparently, um, for kicking in a door after a cup match with neighbours Bristol City. Um, so clearly a man of some, um, some, some, some nervous energy. He, he didn't like yeah. getting beat by the City rivals. Yeah, well, he had the ump, obviously, after that. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't uh, going down to Bristol City? Um, he served in World War One. Um, enlisted in August nineteen fourteen, aged forty. That's um, that's an interesting thing. I, I, I've seen quite a few what you might call older, um, you know, enlistees in, in the early months of the First World War. It wasn't kids. It, these, these were men of some, um, you know, some maturity were signing up in the early early phase of the war. Um, I imagine because jobs were scarce and the army was regular employment, I suppose, in a sense, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were also seen as people that wanted to do their bit. Don't forget, yeah, well, we touched upon earlier on that he was actually a military man, having served in India. In so India, yeah, that's true. Would actually have been 
quite invaluable to the army. Yeah, yeah, that. some experience. That's 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 a good point. Um, he also, interestingly, he, he, after he left Millwall in 1901, he played for Aston Villa, as, as we've said. Um, he took part for Villa in the uh, first game at the North Greenwich ground, which um, was in 1901 after Mill had to move at very short notice. And from what I read in the in the Richard Lindsay book, almost went out of business in 1901 because we were, we were slung out of um, the athletic ground, which was quite a big ground, and we had nowhere to go. And I believe I think it was Elijah Moore, almost single-handedly created the North Greenwich ground from scratch i think it was just like marshland and farmland on the yeah thanks took the field for villa in that game yeah well i wonder what kind of reception he got i think it might have been lively because i'm going to come on to another story in another edition where descriptions of the old north greenwich ground were quite lively i think but i mean there's very little that changes everything changes and yet nothing changes at Mill, doesn't it it's, i'd imagine it would have been a hostile reception for him <laughs> yeah time. yeah we can imagine the old victorians giving him a bit of you know a bit of the old dog's abuse can't you and Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so there we are. That's that's Herbert Banks, our first England international, um, born in Coventry, eighteen seventy four. Died in nineteen forty seven, as as we've said. Um, scored um, twenty six, twenty fifty one goals. Yeah, ninety appearances. Ninety appearances. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and played on the left, and one of the early characters um, for for Millwall Athletic, Herbert. Thanks. You're listening to Achtung Millwall. So we're going to move along because we want to keep the pace of these little bite-sized chunks short and sharp, Neil. Um, and from a similar era, I think, um, a big name, I've heard of this name now, John Calvey. Um, I hadn't heard of a son that we did research into, but uh, John Calvey I have heard of. He's one of the main names from these early days, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. I think he was another England international that had played for the club. Uh, signed as a 19-year-old. And uh, interestingly, when he signed, um, he expressed doubts as to whether he was good enough to play for Millwall. He didn't think he was up to up to the task, which is quite an interesting um, um, attitude to, to, to take, isn't it? You know, clearly um, a, ma- a modest man and didn't think he was as good as others did think he was. Yeah, well... Yeah, well, I think it should be remembered that when he actually signed for Millwall, that the club were probably the second best team in the south of England. Yeah. After I, yeah, well, after Woolwich Arsenal, I think it was Woolwich Arsenal and Millwall were definitely seen as being uh, yeah, but certainly the two biggest clubs and the two best clubs. He was actually introduced to Millwall by Joe Gittins, who was another player. Yeah, there's another name. I've seen that one around in my reading of the early days. And you're right, the Lions of the South, they were known as. They, the Millwall were seen as a major, major club, um, certainly on a par with Woolwich Arsenal um, in those pre-First World War years. Um, and obviously history would take us both in different directions and various decisions. I think Arsenal joined the, the Football League, which was probably the strategically more far-sighted move, wasn't it, than staying in the Southern League, which is where we opted to remain. Um, but there we are. I mean, Millwall Athletic on the Isle of Dog, which had its limitations in terms of logistics and, and um, you know, um, population and so on. But it, it was a major, major club. And we were, well, FA Cup semi-finalists, a couple of times, we were regularly Southern League champions in this era. Yeah. And, yeah, well, interestingly enough, John actually scored a hat-trick on his debut. So, they, so there can't be that many of them. No. 
quite few and far between in an 8-1 win at home against Ilford. We can always smash the Ilford, can't we? Um, <laughs> 8-1 win over Ilford. That was in 1896, 15th of February. Um, scored 33 goals, I see, in the season 1896-97, including five over a team called Wolverton, which I think is up near Northampton, somewhere around there. They were a railway team, I believe. Were they? I, I, I didn't know that. Um, a fast and clever ball player, Stockley built. Another man who's Stockley built, five foot eleven. We seem to specialise in stocky players. And as you said, there was England international. Yeah, one in, well, for Nottingham Forest when he decided. Uh, when he, yeah, well, obviously, yeah, well, he played for Millwall for what three, four years, and decided he wanted to play in the football league. And Nottingham Forest actually won a bidding war in an East Midlands hotel. <laughs> <There's an> uh, <laughs> I mean, football in this era is wonderful. I mean, there's a few stories going through the names and, and the personalities that um, we've put together here, but it's, it's really interesting because there's a, although it's, it's clearly, um, you know, pre-First World War, so Edwardian, and there's a kind of a touch of the old, old Victorian days about it all. But some parts of it, Neil, that's strangely modern, aren't they? I mean, you know, openly tapping up players and money-changing hands and corruption. Um, you know, th- th- these are supposed to be the good old days, and yet it was, I think you called it the Wild West. You know, it, it was, it was any, anything went, didn't it? Yeah, well, it was. It, yeah, but it's wonderful. Uh, we associate and people get upset with what happens in modern football, and it's quite possibly, it's absolutely, it doesn't even scratch a surface. no went on in these times. Yeah, there was another player around about this time who actually reported to a Millwall director that he'd been approached by a bookmaker to fix a match. <laughs> and yeah, well, I do know of games in the 60s that Millwall were involved in that, that, some, uh, that some money were changed. shadiness, yeah. I... Um, I, I, I... I think it's fascinating. I, I, there is no substitute for anyone to... to I mean, history is, is not a cartoon. History is real. And, when, and this is only Millwall, it's only football, so it's, it, it's reflective of society. And it's just fascinating to see how, you know, this kind of idealised vision of what we, we thought of as the good old days, in inverted commas, is the same as now, really. You know, it's, there's, there's nothing new, is there? I mean, all, all of the things that we'd complain about in this day and age went on then and some. Um, fascinating to me. Ever since the advent of football, really, they've been bending the rules to suit themselves. Pay, you were paying money when they shouldn't have been paying money, tapping people up, and all kinds of stuff. It's brilliant. It's why we love the game, really. It is why we love the game, and 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 money. I mean, you know, there's the idea that I mean, obviously, money sloshes around in the game nowadays. Money sloshed around the game in those days too. Maybe not the same scale of money, but certainly big money. You know, money more than uh, most um, working people could earn. And um, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting insight into into the past, and in my opinion, often into the present too, because um, you know the, the two are two are linked. I do love this description of um, Calby had a, had a, a first spell with Mill and left us as 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 we've said already, listeners, to go to uh, Forest. Um, he was an international, you know, an international cap. He came back for a second spell in 1904-5, and he was described again. Is this word again? He was described as being <laughs> overweight <coughs> and playing on past reputation. There, there, there is nothing new. <laughs> Mill players in our, <laughs> their lives <laughs> have been overweight and playing on past <laughs> reputation. 
Um, I mean, he was a goal scorer, but he wasn't in the second spell. Just three goals from 36 appearances. Um, so clearly, he never, never beat those, um, those weight issues. And after giving up the game, I think that was probably his last spell in, in the um, in the game. Um, he, he worked as a docker, so there was, there was no, um, you know, no glossy lifestyle to be had after after football back in those times. That, that is one big difference. Yeah, no, well, I think uh, yeah, which would have been a popular occupation, being a stavador when you're in Poplar. Well, I think he, you ever think he stayed in Poplar for the rest of his life and died there, I think about age 60 or something. Yeah, so it, yeah. I found one wonderful um, press report. Um, I don't know if you've seen this one, Neil. This is, this is uh, 1900, I believe. It's um, featuring um, Calvi, playing for Millwall Athletic. Uh, it's Millwall 9, Germany nil. Uh, <laughs> the German <laughs> FA. <laughs> Easily defeated um, by Millwall, um, featuring goals aplenty, around, including goals by John Calvey. And also the description of the Germans was almost they were grateful to only have nine foot past them this day. It was almost like we'd taken a foot off a gas pedal at one point. <laughs> Wonderful times. I mean, um, and this was played, <clears throat> a visit, a, a tour by the German FA to England to come and learn the game at the hands of the Masters, which included um, I think games at Orient and, and Ilford and places like that. <laughs> and Millwall on the Isle of Dogs. The biggest team of all. <laughs> the biggest team of all. And um, we, we, put, um, we put nine past Germany. So if anyone ever asks you um, what was the result the last time Millwall played the German national team, you can tell them, kids, we beat them nine nil. And I'll <laughs> stick this match. I put it out before. It's, I, I've done it before. And, I've also got a photo of John Calvey, um, slightly fuzzy and out of focus. I've done my best to sharpen it up. So that's the first two personalities and names in our series of Millwall history. I hope you're enjoying these shows. We're going to try and put these out all in one go, so you'll be able to go through them in one big binge, if that's how you like to take your podcasts. And um, thank you for listening, if not. And I hope you enjoy this and, and further episodes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back very, very soon with our next edition in the series. Thank you for listening to Afton Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, dirty Millwall. Till next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.